Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ tissue and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us, guys, at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on this episode of The Gifted Life. Tackling biases in the transplantation world and why it's so important in making life happen. And I'm going to be talking about the wellness wheel, which is just the different parts of our life and how they all come together to make us one. All that and more right here on The Gifted Life. Hang on. Here on The Gifted Life, we want to introduce you to two of our newest acquaintances. We have Dr. John Goss and Eric Figueroa. Uh, Dr. Goss is a professor and chief in the Division of Abdominal Transplantation at Baylor College of Medicine. He provides clinical oversight to the Transplant Center at Baylor St. Luke's Medical Center. And Eric is a transplant patient at St. Luke's. Welcome, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. So we were talking earlier, actually, before, uh, before we got on air, at uh, all the strides, Dr. Goss, that you guys have been making in uh, in able being able to transplant more patients in the minority communities, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. Uh, so I, I know personally I'm involved in some of our, our regional discussions, and I remember in 2014. Uh, we had a lot of, of discussions over uh, the kidney wait list and how the, the disparity that was there. And, uh, and of course, mates, as you know, made some, some changes in policy and started uh, the, the wait time uh, starting at dialysis as opposed to at the onset of dialysis as opposed to the, the onset of, of the wait list because we recognize, obviously, uh, there's a disparity there that needs to be addressed. But you guys have clearly taken that and and run with it and, and gone leaps and bounds over what most in the in the uh, in the nation are doing. Uh, from from everything I've seen, you guys are transplanting so many more African American Latinos with liver transplants. Uh, I think three quarters of your kidney patients are are from the minority com- uh, communities. You guys are transplanting twice as many uh, uh, of the thoracic, the hearts and lungs in the minority community. So can you tell us a little bit about like what have you guys been doing there that's that's so amazing and, and what kind of you know challenges that you've gotten uh, over the past few years that you've you've crossed? Well, um, thanks a lot for having me first of all and and second, I think that uh, our ability to uh, transplant additional um, vulnerable population or minority patients, uh, it's really a, it's a it's it's a, first of all it starts with all the people in the program. Uh, it's a mindset of the program to make sure that all the patients are taken care of, um, irrespective of their education, their language, gender, ethnicity, whatever. And we know that each person is different, and so it takes a lot of effort. Uh, from all the people in our program, whether it's the the people who answer the phone and schedule the patients for their initial appointments, it's our coordinators making sure that everyone understands how to get through the workup to get on the list and how to respond when there's a donor offer and then how to, you know, take care of themselves after the transplant, including, you know, clinic and meds and everything else that goes into it. It's a, it's a huge endeavor. So, you know, to do it, to to get the patients taken care of, 
you know, it's it's a large, it's it's a very large endeavor by a lot of different people. So there's not really one thing that I could point out or one person uh, that we could point out or even one like you know group of people. It's really the entire program. Um, and you know, we live in Houston, Texas, and our 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 population is very diverse to begin with. So we're we're used to dealing with these diverse populations and trying to make sure that healthcare in general is provided to all the different uh, people that live in Houston. So when we, you know, when we have a patient that comes to us, we realize that it, there, it takes different, uh, you know, a different approach for different patients. And so um, you really have to kind of individualize the care in some ways. Obviously, there are protocol type uh, things that go into transplantation. And we, you know, there are certain studies and things we have to get and in certain ways we do have to take care of things, but getting to that point with each patient can, you know, many times need to be uh, individualized. I love that you um, go to the team. It's teamwork in order to to make life happen. So I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast and, and stating that for us. Uh, we do want to bring in Eric uh, to the conversation. Eric, uh, I enjoyed learning about you as well. I mean, you can Google and we're like, oh, we're talking to, you know, celebrity here, um, but a celebrity who... Um, I think appreciates life um, because of the gift of life. And so, um, you know, I did Grammy Award winner, Eric, you know, a composer, Eric, like (laughs) such great things. So tell us a little bit about you and then your journey um, and why you're here helping to spread word about organ tissue and eye donation. Well, I I think it's a great name, the gift of life. Um, I'm I'm blessed in, in three ways. I'm blessed to be on this beautiful planet. I'm blessed to have the family I have, and I'm definitely blessed to be, like the doctor said, to be with the Baylor team. I consider myself part of the Baylor team. And, and uh, it's, like uh, you know, I feel that it's family. When I talk to my coordinator, when I talk to my doctors, and uh, that's very, you know, it's, it's very important. I think that patients, what they should understand is that what we have to uh, give to the hospital is our ears and the initiative of, of really wanting to do this and definitely the discipline. You, 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 must, you must have discipline. I can, I can say that, you know, I did 10 years of dialysis. So there is discipline involved in all of this, and it's very important. But most important is to take the, initi- the initiative and to, p- to be able to have and, and hopefully have a, 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 a family that, you know, that backs you up at all time. My partner, uh, Wanda Colon Martinez, we've been together for 43 years. And, wow. and um, you know, it, it's been a wonderful ride. And, and every day, I, I honest to God, it just gets better. So, you know, it's important. I think the doctor explained some of the, you know, this this whole thing about it's a whole team. And I think that that's the that's the key to all this. It's a team. We're we're on a team. I'm hearing that. Yeah. So, Eric, you know, you talked about a little bit about about, uh, 10 years on dialysis. Take us down that road a little bit about what you know, what brought you to dialysis like why what would you know how did that journey start obviously you were having a blossoming career in music you know everything going great uh with your partner as you as you mentioned and, and then all of a sudden that must have been like a, a ton of bricks well uh, um you know in quotes 
um, I knew it was coming. My father had had this condition, and his brother had it. I have um, I have a daughter that has a condition. I have a sister that's on a waiting list. So the condition that I have is polycystic uh, kidneys, and, and uh, it, it it runs in the family. This is a condition that uh, uh, it's hereditary. I, I guess it's in our genes, and. Um, uh, we we um, what can I say? We we deal with this on a day to day basis. So um, I was diagnosed back in probably 2005 and um, probably 2005 2000 yeah more or less. Anyway, the thing is, in 2008 I was actually performing. There's a very famous uh, jazz club in San Francisco, Yoshi's. Very nice place. We were performing. And um, I was visited by a friend of mine, a cardiologist, that he went to see me play. I just said uh, I was in a conversation with him. I said, excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom. It got, it, uh, all of a sudden, I'm seeing blood and, and this and that. And I freaked out. And he told me, I never forgot his words. He says, well, if you stay here in San Francisco, you're going to be here at least two or three weeks. If you get on a plane tomorrow morning, get to Puerto Rico. Get off, get off the, you know, uh, once you get to the airport, go direct to the, to the hospital. And that's when the whole journey started. I ran from the doctors. I was a bull. I ran 2000, that was 2008. I ran 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Uh, finally, I gave in. My creatine, believe it or not, creatine was up to about, uh, I think it was 10 or 11. And I gave in. I did 10 years of dialysis, which uh, which taught me a lot. I, I, I have this phrase. I, I, I know that dialysis saved my life. It really did because it taught me the discipline you need to be a good, you know, to, to be a good patient, to, to start to follow instructions, to lose weight. I was up to about 340 pounds. And that, there was no way to get a transplant with that weight. So, um, you know, it's been a journey, but here we are in, in, in Houston, uh, you know, for me, the best place in the world. The, the only thing I, I asked my daughter, which was living here for about five years, I, I told her, the only thing I'm going to ask you, I don't know nothing about Houston, but I do want to live near the hospitals. Uh, you know, I know that Texas is huge. I know that Houston is, is also mm -hmm. a great city and a big city, fourth largest city in the United States. I just want to live near the hospitals. And uh, I've been very fortunate. I, I live literally four lights away from the, from the hospital. Yeah. So I'm, oh, I'm wow. doing great. And, you know. So, yeah. so, Eric, you know, of course, you, you, you were diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease. And, and you know, as, as those of us cl clinicians know, it, it basically blows your kidney up into, a, you know, from a, from a small, from a fist size to you know almost a, a football size in some situations, and then you're you're going through this journey on dialysis. Uh, I'm curious. We know on the inside that uh, Baylor St. Luke's is one of the best transplant centers around. Uh, what drew you to Dr. Goss and and the team there at, at Baylor St. Luke's? Oh, okay, I, I I'm honest and I like I'm as blunt as anything. What drew me to the to to that hospital was an emergency, <laughs> an emergency. But I saw from the beginning the care, 
And I said, okay. And when they, you know, I, I brought in my records and this and that. And then they offered me the transplant program. And I just loved it from the, from the beginning, from the, you know, from day one, from registration at the, uh, at the uh, emergency. And I said, this is, this is the place. Uh, this is where I'm going to be, and and from there we, you know, we worked on, uh, we worked uh, on it, and um, I was on dialysis here already, uh, and um, I said to myself, this is the place, and it is the place it's, for me, the greatest hospital in the planet. Oh, Eric, thank you for sharing your journey there, and um, now I like I. I don't, I'm not clinical, so I don't know much about the medical side of it. So I'm going to pull Dr. Goss back in, and maybe you can explain a little bit more about PKD, like what that means. How do you get it? Is it curable? Sure. Um, you know, so polycystic uh, disease, uh, there's a few different types. Basically, in the adults, we have polycystic liver kidney disease, and it's genetically based. It's an autosomal dominant. So meaning that if you get one allele or one chromosome from your parent, even if the other one you receive from the other parent does not have polycystic disease, since it's a dominant, it's going gonna, it's gonna to overrule that and you'll end up with polycystic liver kidney disease. And that's why you'll see in, in uh, the family trees of these patients, much as in Mr. Figueroa, that the, uh, many of the family members are affected. And it's it'll just continue on that way because of the autosomal dominance and the way it's it's, it's uh, passed on. So that's the adult. There's also a pediatric version of the disease, which is an autosomal recessive, meaning you have to get two abnormal genes to be able to have the disease. And it's a different. It presents itself differently than it does in the adults. Um, once you're diagnosed with a polycystic disease as an adult and when they when we find it in the kidneys and livers many times the nephrologist and hepatologist stuff will try to preserve function for as long as they can but it's really it, it's going to head for end stage at some point um, and so it's there's not a really a great treatment and there's not like a surgical or, or obvious silver bullet medical cure for it so many of the patients do end up with transplantation as the ultimate outcome. Sometimes uh, in some patients, the liver and the kidneys will be so large that there's no room left to, to even do a transplant. So the, those organs, the native organs, will have to be removed first. Um, and then many times when you have to remove someone's kidneys like that, they end up, you know, obviously dialysis dependent until they can get a transplant. Many times we have to do the liver and the kidney at the same time because many patients will also have huge um, livers full of uh, cysts. The largest one I've ever seen was a liver that weighed 75 pounds when we took it out. <gasps> um, so they can be enormous yes. sometimes. Right. The other thing is that these patients with polycystic disease can also have other abnormalities. They can get pancreatic disease, they can get cysts in their pancreas, and they can also get aneurysms in their brain. Wow. So it's important that we make sure that all of those things are screened in mm -hmm. the polycystic patient um, so that you don't have one of those things, uh, you know, one of the aneurysms or what a rupture in the brain, which can be life-threatening, obviously. So it, it's, uh, it's not, a, it's, you know, in a transplant center, it's not completely uncommon. It is uncommon in the general population. But we know the, uh, we know the genetic makeup of it. We know the genetic uh, distribution of it. And we have a pretty good idea on how to, ultimately take care of it, but sometimes that can be quite invasive. So uh, before we get into his listing and everything, I'm, I'm curious to dive into that just a little further. So 
once he's transplanted, or once he, he obviously received his transplant, there's still a battle for you guys that you guys have to figure out certain regimens to make sure that he doesn't have further complications, even though the polycystic kidneys are, are, are gone, that he doesn't have further complications in his other organs or brain. Is that is that what I'm understanding? Well, most of the time we'll screen patients way before we transplant them. So we know that the patient doesn't have a berry aneurysm before you let them undergo anesthesia and have different shifts in their blood pressure and stuff, which can be a big uh, problem. So one of the screenings right up front is to check the brain to make sure we don't have aneurysms. And then this, the pancreas, most of the time we can just follow. It's not as uh, dramatic as the liver and kidneys many times, but they can have some pancreatic insufficiency because of these cysts. So we have to keep track of them. But uh, but uh, the pancreas isn't as big a problem as the others. And then the, the aneurysms in the brain, we check that right up front to make sure that uh, uh, they're not there. Otherwise, those have to be taken care of before we can consider transplantation. So I'll go back to you, Eric. Uh, you know, so so you, you're receiving this fantastic care, as you mentioned, at Baylor St. Luke's. Uh, clearly, you start developing a trust in in them uh, as far as their ability to take care of you with a transplant, post transplant. Can you take us through a little bit about you know that that waiting period, what that was like for you, and then finally getting that call of receiving that life saving organ? Well, like I said before, uh, and and I. I, I stress this point. Um, once you're on dialysis, discipline has to click in. You have to make sure that you have a you know, great report with your doctors. You have to make sure you follow uh, um, the best you can. That's the best way I can phrase it. The best you can, your diet, that's very important. It took me, it took me a lot of years to get rid of all this weight. And uh, probably in the last year, I was still struggling a bit. And uh, the doctors wanted me to do some more weight. I, 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 you know, I did it. But you need you need to follow definitely follow instructions. Keep your weight. You know, be disciplined in, in dialysis and keep your your you know your hopes up high. I I can say and I and I get emotional about it. It was um, my call was April twenty first of this year, and April twentieth I got out of uh, my wife uh, Rhonda. She would pick me up at the dialysis center here in in Houston, and I was I was really really sad. And I just I, I told her, I'm tired, I'm tired. And she said, Don't give up. Those were her words. And the 21st, the next day, I get that the greatest call in the world, the greatest call in the world. And, um, you know, I had done 10 years. I did five years in Puerto Rico. And, you know, I, I love, you know, that's, that's where my parents are from. I was born in, in, in New York and I was raised in New York till the age of 15. But I lived, you know, I lived uh, more than 35 years. My three, ch- my three children uh, are born and raised in Puerto Rico. But um, after five years, um, like I said, my daughter was living here. My oldest daughter, Tiara Liz, and she says, "Dad, you know, you're gonna get a better treatment here. You, you, you know, you, 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 you've got to come down to Houston." And and that's another point I wanna I wanna bring out to people. If you want to save your life, how far are you willing to go? What are the sacrifices are you willing to do? 
If I would have stayed in Puerto Rico, I was working in the best hotels. I was producing the best music. Puerto Rico is the Nashville of salsa music. Mm. I was producing, arranging, composing. Uh, I had uh, a TV program. I had, I, you know, I was comfortable, you know, but like I said, how far are you willing to go to save your life, to get a better, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, to have a better life? and better living conditions and whatnot. And we sold it all and we said, we're leaving, I, I have, it's time to go. And we came out here and, and you know, to look and to look for not only, a, you know, a, I guess, a, a, I, I call it a simpler life. You know, it's not that hectic now, no more meetings, no more, no, you know, I'm semi-retired, I still write. I'm actually writing now for a, a great project in New York, but, the, the, the question is, again, how far are you willing to go? You know, and coming out and coming out here was the best, the best thing that I did. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, the family's happy. Uh, you know, I have my grandchildren. So that is, I think that is the most important thing, you know, that, that um, when something like this is happening, you have to do, you have to do what you have to do, you know, I, and just to uh, continue on the doctor's, um, Doctor, what the doctor uh, said before, I did have my bilateral uh, nephrotomy. I got, you know, I was living for, uh, this was in 2016. I was living with no kidneys inside my body. Oh. And people, people wow. would freak out. They would say, <laughs> but how is that possible? You know, but thanks to dialysis and thanks to, you know, good care in Puerto Rico, but here also, you know, here I had, you know, I have, I have the greatest doctors and, and, oh, and like I said in the beginning of the conversation, you have to put your ears and your discipline. It's all about ears and discipline and, 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 and you know, it, it'll happen. So after I did, you know, after I did the 10 years that this call, April 21st, uh, came, then, you know, it, it, it went into another mode and, um, it's a whole, it's a whole different ball game. Like they say, it's a whole different ball game. And here come, you know, uh, more, more instructions. Definitely, uh, um, um, uh, you know, you have to drink more medicine, but definitely uh, a change of life. Is, you know, it's, it's just great. I feel, I, I feel better. I feel free. There's mornings, there's mornings when I actually think, oh, I got to get up. I got to go to dialysis. And my wife says, no, 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 everything is okay. Uh, it, it happens. The other thing that does happen is the, is the, um, the, uh, the, uh, the drinking of water. When you're on dialysis, you're, you're, you have limitations of drinking water. And when you get your transplant, you know, you have to hydrate yourself constantly. Mm -hmm. I actually have on my phone, which just buzzed, a little while ago, I have a, a water alarm. Every every mm -hmm. half an hour, I drink a, a, you know four ounces of water, and I'm, I'm drinking constantly water to keep that you know to keep that like I say to keep my kidney wet. Discipline. So it's, I uh, hear it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it, and yeah, it's, it's, Eric, like you know, it's <laughs> it's just so beautiful to have you here talking and Dr. Goss to be able to help us kind of put this story together. And I was just thinking about how both of y'all just explained 
so much that goes into someone who receives a kidney. Dr. Goss talking about it's a team from the front end of coming into the transplant center all the way into the back end. And your story, Eric, of how your family's support and the direction and the decisions you had to make and and just kind of like walking us through the steps. So you have life. Tell us a little more about where your gift came from. Well, I, I, the only thing I do know uh, that the um, that the person that donated my kidney uh, um, is, was uh, about 39, 40 uh, years old, uh, of course, deceased. But uh, that person, um, you know, was able to donate donate what what I needed. So it's it, it's definitely a gift. It's definitely a gift. The second thing I know about it that, uh, believe it or not, the kidney is from Louisiana, so I have a Cajun, I have a Cajun oh. kidney. So we love that. We Welcome to the family, Eric. <laughs> I know. I feel like our families are all coming together here. You know, you mentioned yes, yeah. that one of the questions you had to ask yourself is how far will you go to save uh, your life. And I think about I wrote that down too. Yeah, that and I and yeah. I think about our families that when they come in, you know, when they say yes to donation, they're thinking, "How far will I go to help someone else?" And they say yes. And um, so to bring this all together, when I heard Dr. Goss talking and I heard Eric talking, I heard so many words that I was writing down: hope, family, um, dedication. It just blessings, um, gratitude, and a lot of, it's not one person, but teamwork. And I just appreciate y'all sharing about how this, all, all these pieces come together. And, and I, I'd like to uh, get Dr. Goss back in here and talk about, uh, you know, at, at earlier on, we heard what they, some of their challenges and, and the fact that it was, a, as he mentioned, a complete team effort to be able to address some of the both implicit and explicit biases that are there, you know, in healthcare in general, you know, but, but the fact that they've made such strides, I'm curious as to uh, your next efforts there uh, in continuing those efforts of uh, the equity, diversity and inclusion and, and what you guys are, are focusing on next in, uh, in, in squashing those biases that, uh, again, as I mentioned, oftentimes are implicit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the uh, number of uh, minority transplants that occurred um, here has led us to trying to understand at a greater level, you know, um, multicultural aspects of our health care that we provide. And so we, um, we've organized now what we call a multi- or multicultural transplant center. Basically, we have uh, different members from different teams involved, uh, from the different organ transplant teams involved. And we're, our, our goal is to really understand how to provide um, care to all of the patients that need uh, transplantation. And uh, it, it started out kind of uh, at a low level because we noticed that, you know, social work evaluation of many of the transplant recipients is different 
from for different patients. I mean, not everybody's family is the same. And, you know, you have to have 24-hour care and you have to have social support at the, at the very beginning of this entire transplant journey. But everyone's household isn't the same. So we can't say that care in one person's house is exactly the same as everyone else, and nor does everybody have to do things the same way. So we really started, that's really what started it was the social work aspect of it because there are patients we were afraid were being turned down because they didn't meet the social work guidelines based upon this rigid formula that they had. So since that time, we've really started looking into, you know, uh, in a very individual way to start with on how do we get care to all of our patients, even if we know that their ability to provide uh, an understanding of the medications, their ability to provide the social support, their ability to provide, you know, different transportation modes is going to be different for each patient. So we, we, and that's where we really came up with that individualizing the care for each person, and that's why it takes a huge effort by this team of people to make it happen. But we've also now, we want to take it even deeper, and we, you know, we want to make sure that every patient is being treated the same and that the care is the same for them all. And so we're going at a much, we're, we're going deeper. We're, we're starting to look at implicit biases in all of our staff, all the way from answering the phone to um, scheduling the patients to doing the evaluation to getting the patient listed in the transplant and everything like that. We're also reviewing our data to see if there's biases against certain people from the insurance clearances. And does it take longer to have um, clearance provided by the insurance company and it's not so it's not such a big deal in kidney transplantation because many of the kidney transplant patients are medicare but in our other organs which have you know support from the third party payers is there a bias against certain disease processes obesity age you know it's always easy to look at gender and ethnicity but there's a whole lot more bias in the world than just ethnicity and gender you know, I, you know, we we've we felt at the beginning that there was a bias even in our own program against some patients with alcohol-related liver disease, and different, you know, weights and ages and everything else. So we're testing our staff with the Harvard Implicit Bias Testing modules to see where do we have biases that we need to identify so that we can correct them, because sometimes many of these biases are relatively, some of them are obviously out in people's faces and stuff like that, and we all know about those kinds of things. But there's also low-level biases behind the scenes that maybe people don't really even know they're doing it all the time. So we're trying to, uh, we're trying to make sure that, you know, all of our patients get the same treatment, whether it's with us, and we're even looking at the insurance companies to make sure that they are giving us adequate uh, care for their patients and different uh, you know, diseases or people or whatever are not being um, held back. So we're trying to take this to a much deeper level. Um, it's a lot of work. We, you know, we have to have an internal institutional review board monitor all these things and everything, and there's a lot of paperwork. But you know, we're we're going um, at this to really make sure that the goal of especially a, a institution like institution like CHI is to make sure that everybody is taken care of equally. And we're really trying to do that in transplantation. And so we're going at it in a much deeper, deeper level now than just our, us trying to individualize care. We're trying to you know, make sure that where the biases are and everything else are out in the, out in the open so we can correct them. I like looking at the, the big picture with you because some aspects, some folks 
may not concentrate on. So, uh, Dr. Goss, we appreciate uh, you letting us learn from you today, and we appreciate your emphasis on teamwork and all aspects of transplantation. If you want to learn more about what was discussed here on the Gifted Life podcast, St. Luke's Health. Org. Dr. Goss, we appreciate you. Eric, I know you're still on there, huh? Yes, I am. The time flies, you see. One hour <laughs> is never enough. But. Well, I just wanted to tell you, you're like our honorary cousin now. That's how we do it here in Louisiana, since you have some Louisiana ties. And um, if you had some free time, maybe uh, a little theme music for our podcast, you know. Think about it. Think about it, cousin. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Uh, okay, we can talk about that's a whole. That's a whole... <laughs> big subject but um um music well uh, now i look at music now actually i have to say it honestly it's it's a bit secondary i think that now you know uh, my wife wanda I, I i you know i mention her because she has taught me so much and she has she has she has uh, made the emphasis that no your health comes first your family comes second and then music and other things and you know for many years of my life i think i i think no i know i had it backwards but now i have it the true way and the way it should be you know and and i'm very i'm very happy uh uh very privileged to be able to have this transplant but more privileged like i said before and i and i say with the bottom of my heart to have the team that we we have. Thank you, Doctor. We, we, you know, I I I don't I, I don't have no words to really thank the whole Baylor Institute, of Baylor St. Luke's. But uh, I am very grateful on behalf of myself and of my family. I love it. We love uh, your your wife as well. We'd have to uh, talk to her one day too. But I wrote down some quotes from you as well. Uh, greatest call in the world that really touched my my heart, uh, your second chance, discipline, and and just living life right. I love that. So thanks for sharing your story, um, for walking us through your journey, and for helping others um, to see the way for making life happen. So thanks for being a donation advocate for us, Eric. We appreciate the visit, guys. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we always take a moment for mental health. Yeah, Nyla, and I hear something about a wellness wheel. What is that? It's very easy, but it's going to be a little hard to describe because usually I show it to people. <laughs> but it's um, it's like think of a pie with seven slices. Okay. And in our life, we just think, hey, this is my life. But it's not. We break it down. I mean, there's the emotional part of our life. Like, mm-hmm. or how are we take how are we taking care of ourselves emotionally, intellectually, or you, you, I don't know, do you have a lot going on in your life that just motivates you, uh, encourages you, interests you? Physical, are you going to the doctor? Are you taking care of yourself? Doing CrossFit. Um, CrossFit. No. I am not, thank you. Drinking water, like we just heard Eric talking about, yeah. like yeah. drinking water, yeah. how important that is for True. him that in was his so life. Amazing. 
Yeah. And then social. Just do you have support around you? And it was really cool to hear Eric talking about his wife, I mean, and his family. So he has Key all piece. that support yeah. around him. Yeah. And then environmental. Do you feel safe where you where you are? And, you know, going back to the transplant center that we just heard, Dr. Goss, how important he makes everyone feel probably walking in the door of the, the transplant center because it's so important that you feel safe when you're receiving medical care mm-hmm, or you right. need attention, you know, attention, whether mentally, physically, emotionally, financially. And then, um, okay, so that's an area that we are, seem to always be working on our, in our house because George and I are probably not so much on the same page when it comes to finances. <laughs> I just think in all which, of 2022, everybody's <laughs> working exactly, on that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're all working on that. And then spiritually, whatever that is for you. So a lot of times we'll work on just one area. Maybe we're pretty good on two or three areas, but, you know, we make we're made up of different parts in our life. And I'm I'm weaker in some days physically because I'm not going to exercise. I find that I'm sitting more than I am moving more. So I'm just going to make more of an effort because what we're trying to do is find a balance. Mm-hmm. And um, so these different areas and, you know, you may not remember these when you walk away from this, but just remember that there's so many different pieces to you. And it's, it's important to think about all of them. And I used to try to do all of them every day and that was exhausting so when you can right like you get through it balance yeah Yeah. it's hard to find that's exactly (laughs) right and that's why it's so important because all of this affects our day-to-day choices and our day-to-day just how we feel about ourselves and how we treat others the wellness wheel the more you know I like it. All right. Maybe you have a topic you'd like us to cover here on The Gifted Life. Simply email us info at thegiftedlife.org. Lori, this question and answer segment, uh, that question is going to be definitely geared to you. I like it. So the question came in from one of our listeners. Can I get a confirmation that I'm a donor if I register online? Does that put a heart on my license? I love that they're thinking about registering to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor. So yes, 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 you can. Um, If you register here in Louisiana, so lopa.org is our one-stop shop. So we want you to educate yourself and then hopefully say yes to organ, eye, and tissue donation. So lopa.org, there's a registry button, and you can take care of everything there. Nationally, it's registerme.org. So you can register there, and then you can print out on both sites that you're a registered donor. But our main thing, what do we tell people? Tell Tell your your family. Family, have that conversation with your loved ones. Let them know your decision and maybe learn about it together and make that decision together. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. If you want to learn more, I'll let you know. Loba.org is where you can find out. That was a great question. And we encourage all our listeners to please, if you have a question, let us know. You can give us a call at 504 648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, Christopher Morrow. And we learn more about Christopher from his family. Christopher loved to help others. Most know him as Coon Dog. He loved to fish and hunt, loved to spend time with his family. I am blessed to know he was able to help others through donation. And now we pause and say thank you to Christopher for the gift of life. And that 
that is going to do it for episode 201 of The Gifted Life. Enjoy learning from our guest today. Wow. Yeah, two great guests we had on today, Dr. John Goss of uh, Baylor St. Luke's in Houston, and of course, Eric Figueroa. What a great story, uh, you know, going through all what he's gone through, going from, from being this, this huge musician, making such great music, living in Puerto Rico at that time, making that tough decision to, to move to Houston for his family and, and reprioritizing his life. And, and certainly for Dr. Goss, for all the work that they're doing there, obviously, uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion has been a big part of what we've been trying to make improvements on in healthcare, especially in every in aspect. Every aspect like, of life. I just enjoyed listening to that, like learning. Well, from and him. he broke it down to make it so simple, and it yeah. makes you just yeah. excited for what's yeah. happening over in no Houston. Doubt. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, you can register anytime as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Registerme.org. And the best place to find us, tell your friends, thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find our podcast. On social media, guys, you can like our Facebook page, The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Thanks for spending some time with the Gifted Life Podcast crew today. We can't wait until the next time we visit. In the meantime, our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're one big team. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nyla Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 